Hey there, Paula Poundstone here. When you're done listening to this podcast, check out my new show, live from the Poundstone Institute. I mean, you could try listening to this show and my show at the same time, but that might drive you insane. Find live from the Poundstone Institute on Apple Podcasts or the NPR One app. Hey, y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Betty. Today on the show, NPR congressional correspondent Susan Davis and Vice News correspondent Evan McMorris-Santuro. All right, let's start the show. Aunt Betty has really taken to her role. She's been asking for a contract. I'm not even lying <laughs> to you guys. Mr. Worldwide's infinity. That was a great read of my name. People usually don't read my whole name that well. Agents, call her. Get at her. Okay. Hey, y'all. Sam Sanders here. It's been a minute. That was Aunt Betty. And this is some Pitbull. I kind of like Pitbull. You know, a backstory to 2016 is if we had had President Marco Rubio, we would have cultural ambassador Pitbull. Because they're very close. Uh, Wait, they're close? Pitbull's like, you know, the the artist that Rubio would say was on his iPod. (laughs) And then Pitbull was like like, totally into it. He's super social media friendly. I once tweeted at Pitbull and he tweeted back. Or his people tweeted back. But if you tweet at Pitbull, he engages. Listen, I'm about to do it right now. I'm going to tell you why we're playing Pitbull in a minute, but first, to clarify, we don't do theme music for these Friday episodes. I pick a different song every week. We'll get back to this in a bit. Uh, But first, we are here in NPR headquarters in D.C. on a muggy, nasty Friday morning with Sue Davis, who covers Congress for NPR, Evan, who covers all of the things for Vice? Uh, America. I cover the United States of America. <laughs> it's pronounced Merca? <laughs> I cover, I cover Merca. Yeah. So we are here to talk about everything that happened this week. The news, the culture, all the stuff. Trump, emails, healthcare, France. Um, as always, we'll call up a listener and talk about what's going on in their neck of the woods. And we'll end the show with the best thing that happened to you all week. Fire it all. So this song, we talked about Pitbull briefly. I'm playing Fireball by a little rapper named Pitbull featuring John Ryan. I'm playing this song because Pitbull was living his best life this week, as he always is. He did a few songs at the the Major League Baseball Home Run Derby, and he wore an outfit, you guys. I'm going to give you some pictures. I thought it looked great. That is Miami This is fresh. so Miami. Miami. Describe the outfit for us again. That's uh that those are uh, appear to be white pants, white slacks, kind of tight. White slacks, kind of tight, and then he's wearing a Marlins uh, jersey. And you know the thing it's is, tucked in. Yeah, it's tucked in. The of course, it is Miami. In. I like it. He I got also, some hate. The the signature Pitbull gloves, solid move. Even <laughs> in like the heat of a Miami summer, <laughs> rocking some gloves. leather gloves. Pitbull, we're rooting for you. We're always rooting for you. Okay. All right, we're gonna start the way we always do. I want each of us to describe our week of news and culture and stuff in just three words. Our very special guest, Evan, can go first. All right. My three words are um, a good boy. A good is, boy. Which uh, is how our president described his son, uh, Donald Trump Jr. He was 39 years old. Uh, five children. <laughs> five? I think he has five. Whoa. But this is sort of – it's interesting because I picked these three words because it's sort of the uh, the week that we've had has been discussing – uh, Donald Trump Jr. and his motivations to take this meeting that he took and then he, the emails that he then sent out proving that he took the meeting. Um, you know, the basic way that the White House has been pushing back on this story is that, you know, he Donald Trump Jr., he's a good guy. He no, didn't know he, what he was he's doing. He's a good guy. Yeah. He's trying to help his dad. And so this is sort of this has been the storyline of the week has been you've seen a lot of uh, conservatives that are coming to Trump's defense uh, jumping on this bandwagon of like, hey, who 
Who wouldn't take the meeting? I mean, you know, and your Trump dad's running for yeah. president. Who wouldn't do it? Well, not just him, but like Ted Yoho, the congressman from uh, Florida. Florida. Ted Yoho? Yeah, he's a large animal veterinarian. And he uh, he talks like one. He looks kind of like a large animal veterinarian. <laughs> Wait, what does a large animal veterinarian he talk like? He takes care of large animals. But what does he talk like? You said he talks like one. He talk, uh, you know, I'm. Uh, uh, hey, uh, how's that cow doing? You know what I mean? Like that kind of. <laughs> okay. Looks like you got that cow's got a flu. I don't know what they say. <laughs> whatever. But but anyway, so this is basically the crux of the argument that we're having right now. It's he was like, a good boy. Was uh, Don Jr. a good boy just trying to help his dad? Mm-hmm. Or was he trying to be part of a... Uh, coordinated effort to work with the Russians to affect an American election. Yeah. Friend of the show, Alexandra Petri at the Washington Post wrote a column all about uh, whether or not Don Jr. gets to be a boy. She had a really compelling graph that I want to read a little bit of about this. She says, some boys never got to be boys. This is the price of men like Donald Trump Jr. who never have to be adults. All this prolonged boyhood must be squeezed out of somewhere for all these adults to get to be children forever. Some children are not permitted to be children or allowed time to grow up. Tamir Rice never got to, neither did Trayvon Martin or Tyree King. There is a whole long, sad litany of names of people who never got to make rookie mistakes. Well, I can't. I mean, that is very true. It's very, there's, there's very sad stories there Dean talked about. But I have to say, you know, I'm 36. My dad would probably call me a good boy still. It's my dad. <laughs> it's a dad. But it's that's, my it's dad. a dad. You're right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. I mean, it's my dad. I mean, my dad still, you know kind of yells at me as 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 isn't totally necessary in the way that one would yeah a boy yeah um yeah. but that which is not to say that like you know the thing about the trump children is quite interesting because the white house uses this uh very effectively where when things are bad they're just kids figuring out what they're doing in yes. a big wide crazy world but and when, when things are not, good they sit in at the g20 right or they're running a massive multinational yes. billion dollar corporation yes. Um, on their father's behalf. So it's an interesting sort of dichotomy. I mean, that's that's definitely true. Yeah. You know, someone else pointed this out, but I'll steal the data point, is that as he's talking about his 39-year-old son being a good boy, youthful indiscretions maybe, mm-hmm. that he's the same age as French President Emmanuel Macron, who yes. the president is was standing next to this week. So the idea that 39 is still too young to know better is kind of laughable. Also, it's important to remember because what we're talking about is a very serious potential offense here, that ignorance of the law is not a defense of breaking the law. Exactly. If, if you have broken the law. Also, right. if anybody has access to a lawyer, it's the folks in Trump Tower. Yeah. And, know, and know how to wield a lawyer. Yeah. Call somebody. I mean, this is very serious. Interfering with an American election, the reason why a, a foreign government would want to talk to somebody like this Come on. would be so they could have something on them down the road. Also, we're living in an era where it's going to come out. We're going to find out. Right. Like, everyone's leaking in that White House. I'm surprised it didn't happen earlier. There's also this element about the Trump family, too, to me, where they are their own worst enemies. Mm-hmm. You know, we would not have a special counsel investigation if the president had not fired James Jim Comey. Comey. Donald Trump Jr. is in the trouble he's in because of the email where it was laid out in his own words. Which he tweeted. Which he tweeted out <laughs> of his own accord in which it says there are people from the Russian government who want to meet with you. And he says, I love it. And particularly if it's later in the summer. I mean, he is his own worst enemy here. This wasn't someone. Yeah. Uh, innuendo or someone leaking something against him. He was an active participant in this. What are your three words? My three words of the week are just keep going. 
Okay. That was my okay. that was my mantra this week. Yeah. Uh, I just had it. This was just one of those weeks where you feel like you like trip on the curb and then get a bloody nose and then rip <laughs> your pant leg. Like I, that was my oh, no. my kind of week. <laughs> but a couple years ago, when I was doing a bunch of races and training for like ten milers and things, yeah. I had a coach who was like, "Everybody needs a mantra when you're training for something. Yeah. You need three words that like when you get close to hitting a wall, what are the three words? And my three words were always just keep going. I love and, it. And like, I just kept coming back to that this week because every day I would wake up and just and I. I was off last week, so I couldn't take any days off this week because obviously the news is crazy too. But every day I was like, man, just, just keep, keep going. going. And you know what I did? And today's Friday and I'm in the studio with y'all and yeah. I feel good. Can so I just keep going. Three yeah. additional words? Yeah. Turn up Pitbull. Turn, turn, turn up, up Pitbull. Turn up. Yeah. yeah. You can't exactly. feel bad. No, I feel bad for Pitbull. Listen to Pitbull. I love it. My three words are very simple. Uh, sir and Rumi. Or Rummy? Or Rummy. We're going with The Nose Carter twins have been unveiled to the world. We saw a picture, came out last night, and I think they're great. Um, she showed the babies in a way, Beyonce did, where you can't tell which one is a boy and which one's a girl, which I love. Yeah. Not conforming on the spectrum. How do you feel about the names Sir and Rumi? So the Sir, I'm confused about because they've been saying Sir Carter. So is the baby's name Sir Carter Nose Carter? Oh. I don't know. And then Rumi, I think, is beautiful. But yes, yeah, sir, I'm gonna have to get used to. I, you know, it's it, listen. As a guy with a really long name, I, I gotta say, <laughs> sir, sounds awesome. <laughs> I would take sir as a last name any yeah. day of the week. Yeah. And what I love about sir and Rumi this week is that I'm able to enjoy them totally absent of any engagement of them with politics. They are separate. They are apart, and I like them for them, and I like Beyonce for her, and they just give me joy outside of that. And this whole week, I've been trying to find things where. I do them and they take my mind like off of politics. So this week, appropriate of nothing, uh, one night I just watched Bridesmaids again. Ah, oh, it's a great. That's movie. a great movie. So good. I also watched Super Bad again last night. Does not hold up. <laughs> doesn't well. hold up. It does oh, not that's hold sad. up well. Oh, that's sad. Anyway, oh, okay, that's, <laughs> that's it. That's sad. It, it really does not hold up well. <laughs> so... I was like cursing at my TV. <laughs> it's so bad. Anyway, oh. three words are done. Time for a quick break. We'll be back with Long Distance when we call a listener and see what's up in their neck of the woods. BRB. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Skillshare, offering an online learning community with over 15,000 classes in design, business, and more to help you grow professionally or add some impressive skills to your resume. You can get unlimited access to classes for a low monthly price. Plus, right now, Skillshare is giving its Been a Minute listeners a month of free unlimited access when you sign up for a plan. Just go to Skillshare.com Sam. Okay, before we get back to the show, if you are looking for another show to try, check out Hidden Brain. Each week, Hidden Brain tries to get at why we do what we do. Like, for example, why are some people really great at recognizing faces? Why do some of us lie more than others? Host Shankar Vedantam delves into the latest research to get answers to these questions and so many others. Check out Hidden Brain on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we are back. In a moment, we're going to go around the table and each share a news story from the week. But first, a thing we do every week, it is called Long Distance. So we call a listener out there in the country and ask them what's happening in their neck of the woods. Today on the line from Tuskegee, Alabama, we have April. April, are you there? I'm here. Hey, April, how are you? 
I'm doing great. How about yourself? Pretty good. It's Friday. We almost made it. Almost. Almost. First, you're on the line with me and my good friends, Evan and Sue. Say hi, guys. Hey. Hey. Hi. My mother's from Birmingham. Oh, that's where I'm originally from. Stop it. Oh, We're in awesome. Birmingham. Whereabouts? I'm from the east side. I grew up in East Lake and now live over in the Huffman, almost Trustville area. Yeah. So, over in that area. Mm-hmm. My mother's from Wylam. Awesome. Yeah, and then we used to that always so- go eat at Nikki's West. Yeah, that is where I tell every yes. all of our visitors who come down here to my museum, every single time they say go to Birmingham, I typically try to tell West. them, go to Nikki's West. Yes. They are thebomb.com. Thebomb.com. Yes. Okay, you said that you work at a museum. Yes, I do. What's the museum? So this museum uh, is actually on the Selma to Montgomery National Historic Trail. Wow. So it's uh, called the Lyons Interpretive Center, and here we tell the story of the 1965 voting rights movement, and more specifically in Lyons County, we talk about Tent City, which was a settlement of African-American tenant farmers and sharecroppers who were kicked off of their land by their white landowners at the end of the voting rights movement for trying to go out and register to vote here in Lyons County or trying to participate in the voting rights movement down in Selma or as it was progressing through Lyons County to get to Montgomery. Um, and then this is also where a lot of the foundations of the Black Panther Party started. Cool Sounds like you do that for a living. I want to go to this museum yeah. immediately. <laughs> Please do. Please yeah. come. We have yeah. we have lots and lots of fun, and everyone who's uh, down here and all the interpreters are really passionate about what they do. And uh, just being here to tell this story, because it's a part of American history that we don't really learn mm-hmm. um, in school. So being able to come to the place and really see where this stuff was taking place, seeing some of those real consequences is mind-blowing and life-changing. Yeah. So... There's some news happening in Alabama right now. Uh, yes, there is. There's an open Senate seat. Yeah, yeah. Um, when President Trump, uh, what's that, I guess appointed, not yeah. like he wasn't elected, but he's appointed, appointed uh, Jeff Sessions to the, uh, who actually is from Selma, kind of funny. Oh, didn't know that. But he appointed uh, Jeff Sessions up to the Attorney General spot, and that left the open Senate seat. So there's this huge race now going for the U.S. Senate from the state of Alabama. It's like 11... Uh, Republicans, like eight Democrats, and that's going to be whittled down, I guess, soon because we have a primary coming up. Yeah. It's surprising to see eight Democrats run. That's going to be a Republican seat, right? Like, uh, I don't want to say there's a chance in hell, but, you know, (laughs) 99.5, I give it, it's going to be a Republican seat Uh, because we are Alabama, and that's what we do. Hi, this is Evan. I want to ask you a question about your job and how it might relate to things today. So you operate, you know, you work at a museum that documents yeah. one of the toughest times in American political history when we were dealing mm-hmm. with a country that is really divided. I mean, there was violence being perpetrated uh, by one political side against the other. There are people who say that we live in a time kind of like that now. And I wonder mm-hmm. if you see any parallels between what you study in your museum and, and what we're going through here now in the country. Um, to a certain degree. Um, the thing that I like most about 1965 is there was a lot of action. And it might have just been regional, but we don't see that same type of action going on now. And and this is just, again, my view. Um, We don't see that overwhelming, like, okay, let's rush through these voting polls. We don't even really know how political system works. And that's kind of one of the things that I try to focus on changing um, for the people at least who come here. Um, it's just how can you be more involved so that the people that you say you don't like that don't represent your interests, why are they still in office? Mm. So something else that's really important in the history and the culture of your region is football. Yay. That's that, that's happening soon, right? <laughs> Sam, football. <laughs> football, it's that? a thing. <laughs> okay, so 
football here is like religion. Um, I don't like any other sports, so I have been without calls for the last six months since the Super Bowl ended. I haven't. I've been looking at my TV screen like, what is there to watch? <laughs> so pretty much um, nationally, I am a Dallas Cowboys fan. Texas, and I just love being able to say that now because there were so many years where I was ashamed. And it's oh, okay. Yeah. Like a decade, okay. I was ashamed to root for them. Exactly. Most of my life. Because I'm only 25, so, you know, I'm pretty young. So I have not been able to be an outright supporter, but I'm happy to be out there now. So I'm a big Cowboys fan. What about Um, college football? College football, first and foremost, I have to rep my Tuskegee Golden Tigers, one of the winningest HBCUs out there. Woo, T-U, that's my little thing. Um, But I am a diehard Auburn Auburn football fan, war eagle to the fullest. My mother was real tired. Really? Yeah. You know, them cussing words around here. (laughs) I love it. Come hang out with us sometime. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. April, so you talked to Brent yesterday. He told me a little secret. He said you were really into Hamilton. And the new Hamilton instrumentals dropped recently. That they did. And we found out your favorite song from the soundtrack. It's a song called The Room Where It Happens. Yes. Brent, you got them? That sounds so good. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. I'm right. trying my best not to No, it's that. perfect. <laughs> hey, I thank you for your time today. I hope you have a wonderful Friday. Uh, you made my day. Thank y'all so much, and keep up the good work. Thank you. Blessings. Have a good weekend. You too. Right. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to get to our stories from the week soon. But first, a quick segment my producer, Brent, has named the Sam 15. Basically, he says that every day I come into work with something new to complain about. That is actually true. Uh, He challenges me to do it here in the booth, but only in 15 seconds. And then he cuts the mic. We're going to do it now. The clock will start when you hear Lil John. Let's get over Game of Thrones. The show is not that good. I don't want to watch it. I'm tired of seeing naked dragons. Get it out of my face and out of my life. I don't believe in that. Naked dragons? <laughs> naked dragons. <laughs> it's naked. It's all these. It's everyone's just naked and sexifying. And... I don't need it. I don't need it. As a person who appears nightly on HBO, I have to say <laughs> that every show on the network is excellent. And all I know award winning. And produced, um, you know, some are uh, for other people, you know, some, some tastes, some for other tastes. Um, I personally prefer a Curb Your Enthusiasm yeah. to a Game of Thrones. Do you uh, watch Game of Thrones? Uh, Thrones? G O T. I have watched it. I mean, I'm not obsessed with it. Exactly. So the show comes back this Sunday, and everyone's freaking out about it. Do you watch the show? Okay, so I watch it. My no, husband. Do you watch uh-huh. the show? My <laughs> husband watches it, and I watch it along with him. Uh-huh. But I am also the. I would not say annoying wife, but I am the the person you watch a TV show at that only mildly understands the plot. You're like, what's going so on? So I'm always like, is that the dragon lady? Is this the brother and sister couple? You know, I'm like asking all these yeah. questions like, why are there dragons here? Yeah. Is this make-believe? <laughs> Where's Hogwarts? Like I, So I think that he's very patient with me with when we watch the show. So I'm not a super fan, yeah. but I watch it and just ask questions throughout the entire, because there are like, so many plots so many. in that show so that it's really hard to follow sometimes. And I just don't think the show is that good. My theory of why we consider Game of Thrones now to be prestige TV is because the life cycle of all the prestige shows before it went away. You'll recall uh, Game of Thrones did not start getting Emmys until Breaking Bad was done. Hmm. Like, this is just a fill-in. We are slowly leaving 
peak TV. We're on the downward slope, and Game of Thrones is on that downward ride. It's not as good as Breaking Bad. It's not as good as The Sopranos. We pretend it is because those are gone. I don't think the show is that great. Get the dragons out of my face. I don't have time for it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now it's time for the part of the show when we swap some news stories from the week that was. A piece we've been working on, a piece we've obsessed over, whatevs. Sue, I always end up picking your story whenever you come on the show because I want you to explain the part of the world that I don't get, which is usually Congress. Um, So I want you to just catch us. Yeah. I want you to catch us up on what in the world is happening with that GOP health care, Obamacare repeal thing. Thingy going on? Yeah. Uh, So it's, it was a, pretty dramatic week and it's setting up to go into a pretty another dramatic week yeah. next week on health care. I mean, this is sort of the final showdown. Can yeah. the Republican Party make good on its promise to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act? And they might do it, huh? They're, you know, Mara Lyson, our national political correspondent, emailed me this week and said, what do you think the odds are? And I, you know, after this election, you kind of give up predictions. <laughs> yeah. But my joke has kind of been, I feel like the chances are the same as the split of the Senate, 52-48. It's mm. really narrow and a little bit of a thumb on the scale for it passing just because of all of the political pressure coming down on the Republican Party to deliver on this. Uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell unveiled an updated version of the bill this week with the expressed intention of tr- sort of trying to thread that needle to keep 50 of his 52 senators on board. What's that bill? How is it different? Uh, it's essentially the same. You okay. know, the core of the bill hasn't really changed. It repeals a lot of the taxes that were in the Affordable Care Act. It gets rid of that individual mandate that tells people they have to buy insurance. And more significantly and more the bigger impact potentially of this bill is that it completely recreates the way the Medicaid program is funded and how the federal government sends money to the states. It makes it a block grant. Not an entitlement program. It, it, yes. It, it changes the funding formula so states will not have an open-ended guarantee that the gotcha. federal government's going to come in and give them whatever they need. They're going to be put on um, more of a budget. And from that perspective, if they pass this bill, it will be a tremendous victory for conservatism. I mean, re- this would be the most significant remodeling of an entitlement program since the United States government established entitlement programs hmm. and has been a goal of the Republican Party for a generation. But rollbacks of programs like that rarely, really happen, right? They've never happened. Not they, they have an entitlement program has not been remade in any dramatic fashion since their inception. And that includes Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security. Hmm. They are fundamentally structurally the same as they were when they started. And the Republican Party has argued that these programs need to be dramatically changed in order to make them sustainable in the long term because entitlement programs are really expensive. And What I think is really notable just from a political macro standpoint is this updated version keeps in place a lot of the taxes of the rich that were implemented under Obamacare. Wow. Which are, you know, back of the envelope is it's about $200 billion worth of taxes that are off of the investment income of wealthy Americans. And these are a part of the taxes that the Republican Party and every Republican in Congress campaigned on repealing, that these were stifling and that, you know, it turns out when you're trying to do healthcare policy, you need money to pay for things. And yeah, it's hard. It's hard healthcare, isn't it? And that's not, yeah, it's, it's, real, very it's a hard. real toughie. And these taxes aren't in there because Democrats wanted them. These taxes are in there because enough Republican senators said we need to keep these taxes. Because in the place. Republican governors are like, don't take this money that funds things and the people in my state. And at some point, you just need money to pay for things. Well, it's interesting. I mean, so over the 4th of July weekend, I went to Maine 
to go see Susan Collins. I didn't go. I just went for fun. I don't know. I went to Maine just to go. <laughs> uh, no, I was working, uh, unfortunately. Uh, though Maine's, Maine's a beautiful place to go on 4th of July, by the way. Yeah. Maine is like the most beautiful place. I've never been there 4th of July. Huh. But I went because it was supposed to be the big weekend where the progressive groups are going to push hard against senators like Susan Collins to keep them from voting for the health care bill. But when I got there, what I found was a bunch of Republicans who voted for Trump and Susan Collins who wanted Susan Collins to vote against the health care bill. Wow. Um, it's not just that it's the politics uh, sort of like on the on the sort of level up here in Washington where they're sort of thinking about what it might look like in 2018. It's actually Republican voters who know what's in this bill, who live in states that are actually kind of poor and having a hard time economically. Yeah. They're the ones who are telling their Republican senators not to vote for this bill. And, and as long yeah. as that's true, or at least the previous version of the bill. Now, of course, it's changed and we'll see what happens. But Susan Collins seems to be kind of concerned about this bill as well. She's this, already come out. I mean, to your the very new point. Version. The, there's only two Republicans that get to vote no, and they've already claimed their tickets. Yeah, they Ram, can't lose anybody else. Rand Paul of Kentucky and Susan Collins of Maine, for that very reason, uh, have already come out and said they're a no. They're yeah. not, and they're not going to get to yes. There's nothing they can offer them. So but, what yeah. does that mean? It means every single Republican in the Senate now has to vote for this, or this Republican effort to repeal and replace Obamacare is over. We probably can't answer the question today, but... Some of the thinking was, if Republicans can pass this bill, it'll open up doors to pass lots of other bills, and they'll get some momentum to have a GOP agenda move through the halls of Congress. But my thing now is, even if they do pass it, every day, every story is overshadowed by Russia and Trump and Trump's son. Does this really give them anything? Does it up the fortunes of Donald Trump and the GOP, even if they pass this? I don't know. Well, the president still has a Twitter account, so the answer is no. Okay. Because this president tweets whatever he wants and, and changes, change, everything else. changes the news story every exactly. second of every day. All right. Evan, you got a story about I a guy. Do, I do. Uh, I uh, spent uh, a few days in California with Minnesota Senator Al Franken. Why was he in California? Because he's selling a book What's called book Giant called? of the Senate. <laughs> oh, it's which, about him? It's his memoir. Oh, uh, and it's actually kind of an interesting story about uh, Al Franken sort of in the, in the modern – era of politics that we're in. When Al Franken ran for Senate in 2008, uh, there was a big concern among a lot of Democrats that he was too much of an entertainer yeah. and uh, had sort of a past of telling jokes that might have been sharp-elbowed or maybe not in great taste. Uh, just some backstory on him. He was on SNL for right. years. He ran as a Democrat in Minnesota and won, and he's been a senator from Minnesota now for how long? Uh, uh, since 2008. Wow. Since okay. 2009. Yeah. Since yeah. 2009. Okay. Yeah. For, so a while. A while, a long time. Yeah. And so this book, so the thing is the first era of his uh, Senate term, his first Senate term, uh, he he actively decided not to be publicly funny at all. Because the lesson from 2008 for Democrats, uh, they thought from his campaign, was that you can't be funny, you can't be yourself, you can't be the sort of wild entertainer type. Yeah. Obviously, we no Times longer feel changed. that way about politics. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Franken sort of feels like he can sort of let his uh, satirist flag fly. Is he doing that now? He is. So actually, is he good? Is he still good at that? Oh, he's hilarious. Okay. I mean, I, I, honestly, he is hilarious. But it's also fascinating because he's also a very sort of strong establishment Democratic politician now too. So he's this, been around for a while. So well, this is this is this is a guy who was you know who used to be sort of a poke the bear type satirist. And now he is a guy that raises more money for Democrats than, like, I think anybody else in the Senate really? caucus and things like that. Um, so the story that we're doing and what I spent these few days with him was sort of tracking these two storylines of his life, which is the first one going from a guy that people were worried might hurt the Democratic Party to a guy they think could actually maybe lead the Democratic Party. Uh, and then this idea where he writes in his book 
he's kind of proud of the process that he took to become a Washington insider. I mean, a lot uh. of a lot of senators, a lot of politicians write books about how, well, I went to Washington and it never changed me. I don't know what that accent is, but that's my Senate accent. <laughs> that's okay. generic, not that's from my, here. This, yeah. I, I, it did I'm not, from I these do parts. not know. It did not change me. I'll tell you what, right? <laughs> Franken's book is like, it changed me. Oh, it changed uh. me. I listened to my consultants. I listened, I, I changed the way I talked. I changed the way I answered questions when, when reporters asked them. He even talks about how like lobbyists are maybe kind of not so bad all the time, Ooh. and and then and, and the way they're and the way they're talked about. Um, a lot of the stories in the book are uh, him his attempts to and successfully making friends with Republicans. Uh, there's but a, not Ted Cruz. That's right, not Ted Cruz. Who he, he does, hates takes, Ted but Cruz. there's a part. That we're, we're so he's uh, he's sitting there in San Francisco. Uh, well, no, I'm sorry. This is actually in Los Angeles. So so we're in Los Angeles with him and Mark Maron. So it is a very what? liberal <laughs> audience. And Mark Maron says, you know, you have to work with all these monsters like Mitch McConnell. And Al Franken says he's not a monster. Wow. He's just a guy that does things we don't like, and we have to work with him. And this what did the crowd do? They laughed, but they you know this is sort of what they're hoping for from him. So it's a quite. It's, it, I just find uh, his story. Especially in the time that we live in now, where the idea of political decorum is totally out the window, right? Uh, is a very fascinating one, and the story that we're going to do for Vice should air next week. Okay, um, I think uh, really delves into that, into that, di- into yeah. his tension really well. Is he going to run for president? That's what was Mike. I was going to ask. Yeah. You. He, he said, has secret ambitions. He said several times, "No." His answer is, as I wish I kind of like this. His answer is, "Look, I know we live in a time where you think anyone could be president, but you really have to want to do it." And I don't really want to do it. Oh, come on. That's what he said. I think he runs. Cool story, bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're low on time and we're high on politics, so I'll keep mine short. But I've been obsessed this week with French President Emmanuel Macron. Um, he took office a few weeks ago, and he was this kind of counter to a right-wing tide all throughout Western Europe. He's a centrist, former banker, swept in with the big majority in a brand-new party, and he's making changes already. Um, but I am interested in seeing how... Macron's playing out a few weeks in. He won with these big majorities, but there's already kind of questions about what he's doing. Our own France reporter Eleanor Beardsley had a story that some in the media in France are calling him King Macron because he's trying to take too much power already. He's not talking to the press as much as they think he should. Some folks call him Napoleon. It's quite interesting. Mm, yeah. Also, he is doing this really interesting thing, dancing around this relationship with Donald Trump. What I've also been obsessed with is the way that Donald Trump's uh, behavior on the global stage has kind of made this power vacuum, which you saw on display at the G20. Used to be on the global stage, the U.S. was on top and that was it. But with Trump, a lot of other leaders see kind of a place where they can step in and assert themselves. We've seen Merkel do it in Germany, but we've also seen Macron do it in this very interesting way in France. And part of his way of doing it is like, on the one hand, disparaging Trump's policies, but on the other hand, inviting him to France for Bastille Day and like shaking hands and hanging out and having lunch. And so the power play between... Not just shaking out, hanging out, shaking hands and having lunch, regaling him through the streets of Paris. Yes. Military parades, dinner in the Eiffel Tower, marching down the Champs-Élysées, like the... The overwhelming flattery of Trump is, to me, what was so distinct about this trip. And it's so blatant because it seems as if he just thinks, if I just flirt with this guy enough, I'll get what I want. Well, I think this is also fascinating. I was talking about other people this this morning. But to me, it's also, you know, if this continues at this rate when Trump goes abroad, it also seems that world leaders have kind of figured out 
how to how play to Trump. Exactly. That he, the flattery and the, and the overwhelming pomp and circumstance, which was not, which was similar when in his trip to Saudi Arabia, sort of the, just the show that yes. they put on for Trump. Yeah. Get and that orb out. If, if you have an orb, exactly. if you have an yeah. orb, yeah. get your orb out. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, there's some really other interesting things happening with Macron. I talked to uh, two podcast listeners in Paris. Their names are Edna and Francois. And I said, what's the deal with Macron? How's he doing? And they said, Sam, look at how he's speaking to the world. They said the past two French presidents didn't speak English. They spoke French. Every other day, Macron is making a statement in English for the world to hear. And he is very clearly saying, I'm here. Look at me. Well, I mean, more to watch. Well, Britain is, uh, you know, brexiting itself to into oblivion, and so someone's trying to take advantage <laughs> yeah, of it. I yeah. mean, that's, that's what I think is. But happening. like, it's so to me like watching a high school student council election, watching the way that Macron and Merkel and Trump walk around peacocking. That's what they're doing, and I'm fascinated with it. All right, that's My all. Other, France. Uh, cultural oh, point that I think is interesting is that the age difference between Trump and Melania is the same age difference as Emmanuel Macron and his wife. It's Brigitte. just it, Brigitte. It's, it's just reverse gender. And Trump and, and our president did not stop him from saying to her, "You look great. Wow, you're in great out. shape." Love is love is love is, is love. love. <laughs> uh, also, just to promote her reporting, I've Eleanor Beardsley has been killing, killing it. it, killing Snaps, it. I want her on the show. Soon. Her stuff love has. Her. Been, I've been. I've enjoyed listening to her reporting from Paris so much yeah. in recent weeks. France, it's what's up. All right, time for one more quick break. We'll be right back with a game called Who Said That. <laughs> Support for this podcast and the following message come from Simply Safe Home Security. Simply Safe makes everything about home security effortless, from having no long-term contract, which keeps you in charge, to sophisticated wireless technology that makes setup a breeze. With 24/7 professional alarm monitoring and police dispatch, your home stays safe around the clock. Right now, Simply Safe is having its biggest ever summer sale. For a limited time, get $100 off Simply Safe's special summer package. This sale ends soon. Visit simplysafenpr.com. All right, guys, time for a game that we call Who Said That? Do you know what this clip is from? The Atlanta Housewives. Don't worry about it. I'll show you later. <laughs> Anyways, I read a quote from the week. You tell me who said it. All right. First quote. I have heard of some dispensaries running on fumes, if you will. Marijuana dispensaries. Yeah, no, I get it. I'm fumes, thinking. Uh, it, there, is there's it, a shortage is somewhere. It, it's, it's in Las Vegas where there's a shortage it's of state. marijuana. It's, it's Nevada. State of Nevada. There's a shortage of marijuana. They have a marijuana shortage. They just opened it up legally like a week ago and they're already like y'all we're out so it's like toilet paper before a snowstorm you know the shelves are already yes. just empty so what had happened was uh when they legalized this stuff the alcohol industry was like we get first dibs so for the first 18 months of nevada's legalization only alcohol distributors could sell marijuana but the requirements were so high none of the alcohol distributors met the criteria so now no one can get refills and so they're about to be out and they're begging the state of Nevada to change the rules to open this thing up. So this week, the governor of Nevada issued a statement of emergency, not a state of emergency, but a statement to basically say, we got to figure this out. But also, if every time you're low on weed, you have a state of emergency, 
You have a problem. But the good thing about marijuana is that... Hey, hey, kids are listening. (laughs) No, I mean, in terms of, like, a public policy perspective, is you feel like if a state ran out of alcohol or some other intoxicant, people would be, like, a lot more potentially violent or angry. Like, you feel like if a state runs out of weed, people are, like, moderately disgruntled and just, like, watch something else on Netflix. Like, the the threat to the public of a marijuana shortage just seems kind of Like, if there were a bacon shortage, I'd rage. Colorado. They don't want to hang out in Colorado's house, but yeah. they have to because you go up there. You <laughs> it's see a long them. drive. Are you holding and... Colorado? They are. You got to hang out there for a yeah, while. Like... Watch your thing. Or yeah. California. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, right. Nobody feels bad for you, Nevada. You got Colorado on one side and California on the other yeah, within figure driving out, Colorado. distance. Colorado. Get Colorado. in the car. Pack up the van. No, Nevada. Figure Nevada. it out. Nevada, Colorado, Colorado. 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 All right. Next quote. Here it is. It's time you got together IRL. You have 24 hours to decide the city you want to have your first date in, and we'll send you there. It's a big story this week. It's from an online dating site. Oh, because y'all don't online date because you're so mature. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Tinder. I mean, I guess that, but I don't know what the story is. So Tinder offered to send two Kent State College students on a vacation anywhere they want to go because these two kids posted screen grabs of this years-long Tinder conversation where they never met up. What? But it was cute. They're so, in college at the same, the same college? They never met up. They matched in 2014, and one was in a message, and the other would wait like two months to respond. And it went back and forth like this for years. And they would respond with these little jokes like, hey, sorry, I was in the shower but like for two months or they'd be like, hey, my phone died. But it was like three months. And so this went on and on for years. Tinder saw it and was like, do your thing. So now I think I think they're going to go to Maui. So basically every three months when the person that they're seeing break up with them, they text each other on the Tinder thing? I think so. Also, what a wonderful love they're going to have. I, I can't wait for their wedding toast. I was, <laughs> I was hooking up long. with like three other people, but they all sort of, I don't know, they're all out of town this weekend. So You're still here. Yeah. yeah. Also, if dating apps are giving people trips based on dating misconnections, I am owed a cruise around the world. But isn't Get that, at me, isn't okay, that part Cupid. of like I can see Tinder in some ways trying to do this as a like a changing the way people think of Tinder because I am not on Tinder. I am a happily married woman. Yes, Thank you, you very are. much. But my f- friends that have been on Tinder say like part of the frustration is you can just get into like endless text chains. Like when do you make the leap from just like clever mm-hmm. Twitter or clever, banter. clever text banter to actually meeting IRL? But the- what? You know, wait, IRL? why would you text somebody that you don't know on? T- isn't the purpose of Tinder to meet the person? No. What? Y'all are showing your age. It can be, though. But, like, people will, you know, once you connect and you initially, you you can text and then you. Here's how you do it, y'all. Find you a woman or a man at church. (laughs) Last quote. Please help. I'm stuck in here and I don't have my phone. Please call my boss. Man, I am destroying it. This This is a subway thing? No, it's even worse. (laughs) What the hell? (laughs) You got it wrong. (laughs) You got it wrong. Somebody got stuck in something. In an elevator. No, even worse. Uh, bathroom? Even worse. Oh. Uh, someone got a stuck. porta potty? No. Someone got stuck in an ATM machine. <laughs> what? Yeah. Uh, like the ones where you have to swipe your card to get in? Some, no, some, no, listen. A worker that was refilling an ATM with cash, when he opened it up, he got stuck. And his phone wasn't with him. So he was sending out notes to people through the little ATM slot, <laughs> being like, help a brother out. And like four or five people were like, this is a prank. Yeah, this and can't finally be real. someone was like, oh my God, he's stuck. 
So they got him out. Aww, this was in Texas good. somewhere. Of course it was. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Poor guy. How long was he in there? Hours. Oh, my God. I know. Terrible. Tinder I know. should send that guy on a trip. That yeah. guy deserves a Tinder trip. He'd right? rather be stuck in a bathroom. Yeah, you're <laughs> right. All right. This, one's, this one is not a game. I'm just going to read the quote because I'm happy about it. Um, As we move closer to the bride's big day, tempers and tensions flare. The patience of loved ones is tested and monumental meltdowns become inevitable, all in the name of planning the perfect wedding. That was a PR statement from WeTV. They are bringing back the show Bridezilla's. Oh. Freaking love that show. That sounds good. I mean, that's it's the, such a good show. We, we've had so many uh, florists unyelled at on television. <laughs> <laughs> How wonderful it would be to have we that We need back. it. We need it. All right, we got four minutes left. You got to get out of here. Before we go, though, a quick plug for Tuesday's episode. The Tuesday shows are deep dives. I talk to one person or I tackle one topic. We're going to hit some music for this one because we're talking to a musician on Tuesday. Uh, one of my favorite producers of all time, Grammy Award-winning mega-hit record producer Jeff Basker. He's produced for Bruno Mars, this song, Uptown Funk. He uh, produced for Kanye, for a little band called Fun, for Lady Gaga, most recently Harry Styles. And so we talk about his art, his music, his life, and how you survive in this kind of industry for so long. It was really fun. I was at his home studio in L.A. He played some songs for me. You should check it out. Uh, he's got a really cool backstory. Also, Harry Styles showed up. What? <laughs> Bury the lead, man. <laughs> he did. He like, showed he up. Like, like, he just like walks in? Yeah. So there's a little sound of Harry in the tape. That is so cool. That sounds really cool, though. That's it's yeah, fun. Yeah. Check awesome. it out. I will. I okay. download it every time it pops up on my little pod Look thingy. at you. You get to come back. <laughs> Sue, you didn't say that. All right, we're almost done. We will end the show as we always do. Each week, we ask our listeners to send us the sound of their voice, talking about the best thing that happened to them all week. I encourage them to brag. Brent goes through them all. He assembles a little montage, and we're going to take a listen right now. Hey, y'all. This is Alexa from New York. And the best thing that happened to me this week was that I got my first check for my first job. Uh, I'm really excited because now I'm $82.66 richer. uh, And it's a step towards adulthood, as scary as that is. Hope you all had a nice week as well. Hey, this is Dylan at Kirtland Air Force Base in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And the best thing that happened to me this week is I made captain in the United States Air Force. Congrats. Oh, yeah. This week, my girlfriend and I signed a lease and we're moving in together. She always tells me you're her number one boo, Sam, and I'm only her number two. Hey! Either way, I'm very, very excited to take this next step with her. This is the best thing ever. Right? The best thing that happened to me this week was I got to see Diana Ross second row center at the Moody Theater in downtown Austin and it changed my life. Yes. Hey y'all, this is Austin calling in from Tallahassee, Florida. I went to community college and then to a state university and I can't believe that I'm going to Harvard. Congratulations. My name's Peter from Wellington, New Zealand. What's been happening to me this week is the wonderful news of the birth of our third grandson and tenth grandchild. Hi Sam, this is Tiffany from Yukon, Idaho. The best thing that happened to me this week was my husband and I celebrated our seventh wedding anniversary and we still really like each other even after the 2016 election and being very much a house divided. Whoa, that's good news. On my birthday last week, I drove a moving truck from our house in North Dakota to a two-bedroom apartment in St. Paul that I've been living in by myself for the past six weeks since I started a new job. 
So the best thing to happen to me this week is that I got my kids back with me. Oh, I can hear them. It's bittersweet because their mother, my wife, is not with us. She's still back in North Dakota until she gets a job offer. So we're hoping that she will get a job offer soon and we'll all be back together soon. Oh. They're the best thing. I got my daddy back. Oh, oh my God. God. <laughs> I'm not crying. You're crying. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. What happened? Oh my daddy oh my got God. my daddy back. Bye. They get back. I got I'm never <laughs> tweeting again. Like, you understand how, like, hollow my life is? I just realized. Oh, my God. Thanks to Alex and Dylan, Nikki, Nick, Jennifer, Curtis, Austin, Peter, Tiffany, and Brandon. It was beautiful. That was beautiful. Also, shout out to a few folks you didn't hear. Matt, who got engaged. Kanem, whose daughter had a little milestone this week. And Hoi Tan from China, who's going to see Tori Amos. Oh, wow. Yeah. Tori's still kicking it? She is. Awesome. Kicking it hard. Thank you all for your messages. Uh, as the audience for our show grows every week, we get more and more of these, and we don't have time to include them all, but we listen to them all, and they just warm our hearts every week. So thank you for sharing the news with us. If you want to share your best thing all week, you can do so at any time throughout the week. Record yourself and email the file to samsanders at npr.org. Uh, Sue's best thing is she's going to buy a house like right now. Yeah. By the time you hear this, I will have bought a house. Congrats. That's awesome. Yeah. Congrats. Leaving here and going to closing. Thank all right. you. Peace of the rock. You deserve it. <laughs> all right. We're done. Uh, Evan, people can see your work on Vice News tonight from HBO. That's right. 7.30 p.m. Monday through Thursday. Love it. Susan Davis can be heard on your airwaves, also on the Politics Podcast, and Up First. That's right. And this one, too. And this one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's Been a Minute was edited this week by Jeff Rogers and Steve Nelson. It was produced by NPR's own Brent Bachman. Fun fact, Brent's mother used to put butter on his Pop-Tarts when he was little. Interesting. Weird. Gross. My mom didn't do that because... I don't know. (laughs) Gross. I never did that. I toasted my own Pop-Tarts because I'm an independent woman. I don't need no man or woman for my Pop-Tarts. We weren't allowed to have (laughs) Pop-Tarts. I was going to say, his mom is clearly not like a heart doctor. Ruined it. (laughs) I would have killed for butter on a Pop-Tart when I was a kid. We had raisin bread in my house. Whole wheat bread. Oh, my goodness. All right. On Tuesday, refresh your feed and figure out how Jeff Basker likes his Pop-Tarts. JK, I didn't ask him that question. Until then, thanks for listening. Talk soon. Bye. Fire it all. Fire it all.